the minute you make yourself memorable you are as viral as the video someone else shares what's the problem you're trying to solve how big is the problem you're trying to solve why are you the right person to solve it i think right now i am a curator of cool <laughs> at some level measurability brings results and results bring you measured deliverables and therefore maybe even even measured profit tools of technology have given us the right to be able to democratize art events engage your senses and they engage all your senses hello everyone welcome to episode 2 of recast i have today with me somebody who i'm probably meeting what up to 15 years hi roshan how are you i'm good sorab so lovely to talk to you and to be able to see you as well absolutely roshan likewise i think i i have to thank covid for this i think the last we saw each other was what in 2007 and you know now we are here actually meeting virtually because of covid at least at least one thing to thank covid for right that's right so uh <laughs> roshan i think let me begin this discussion you know by asking a question that i'm quite interested in asking because i i sort of went through your website and i think i i, I really find you know the way you introduce yourself very very interesting you call yourself a slasher by profession so why don't you use that to sort of give a very quick introduction uh, about you and you know what does this slasher by profession actually means so being a person sorab who's been on stage since he was 4 years old i've had to devise various ways to engage an audience and uh, so i've thought of multiple uh, introductions for myself and i used to get extremely bothered when people would read would read half page bios right and uh, he's done this and he's done that and he's done whatever and it was very difficult to pinpoint what i do because i genuinely am a multifaceted person and i love doing multiple things at the same time and then one day i found this uh, you know the, this uh, slash as a uh, you know on my keyboard and i said well this defines me because i've had maybe 11 to 14 professions uh, not full professions in some cases like i've written lyrics for a song uh, for a film and uh, done about 15 corporate songs so i am a lyricist but it's not my core job and i've done theater professionally so it is theater slash radio slash tv slash event manager slash entrepreneur slash digital marketer um slash producer slash spoken word artist i mean you can just keep adding to that so um that's where the slasher came and i found that for introductions to younger audiences it used to land really well so um i'm also a big one about saying that can you land a message really well so this used to get me the laugh as well as the understanding so i started using slasher in that sense i am not a serial killer nobody needs to worry about that did i hear 14 different you know actually professions yes wow which of this experience did you enjoy the most i i think i think engaging an audience is what i really like and therefore theater because it is the toughest and the most rewarding i mean it's the most rewarding because the uh, audience you can you can see the white of your audience's eyes as we say sometimes and the response is immediate you can feel a human shared emotion i mean i think the one thing that in the pandemic that possibly a while right now we are having a shared experience it's still across a screen and and there is there is a there is a, an energy to being together i mean when they say man is a social animal i think we realize that during this time so so while 
Many of my other professions have given me larger canvases and larger audiences. Theatre was the most demanding uh, because it requires discipline and it requires rehearsal and it requires you to be present in every moment uh, and present to the actors around you, present to the environment, present to your audience. Uh, you know, and and that I find personally very rewarding, very enriching. Put me in a theatre space and I'm a different person. I don't know. I, I feel that there's a new energy uh, coursing through my blood. Right. So I think when you when you look back and, you know, when you look back at all these 14 different professions, do you think one led to the other? Is there an inherent connection? I mean, probably theatre gave you, uh, you know, uh, the ability to, you know, train on your voice and that probably could have helped you to become a radio jockey. And then I think, you know, because theatre helped you to present yourself to the audience, I think, you know, TV happened, I think, in your life. So would you say that, you know, one sort of led to the other? And if you really have to stitch all those 14 professions together, can you just help us understand, you know, how your journey has been? So great question there. And, uh, you know, uh, I've actually always felt that there are layers that you keep adding. So one, of course, is that Every time the medium used to change, the size of the audience used to change, right? I mean, in, in the theater, I was communicating just using my voice, but it was to an intimate audience in the, you know, which was present in an auditorium, 500, 2000 people max. But the minute there was a mic and the medium of broadcast became radio, it was me talking. But because of radio, I was now talking one to many, which is I was talking to a city on FM. Um, and suddenly I had to change my voice from something which was a directed voice to a personal voice, right? I was I was reading someone else's words in theater. I was under someone else's direction in 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 uh, radio. It was my mind, my ideas, which I was communicating to people outside. Um, when I went to television, I was now not talking to a city. I was talking to countries and continents, and frankly, at one time across geographies. And so I had to find the lowest common denominator that bound people. But yes, at the core of all of these professions was personal communication. The minute I set up agencies, I now had to convert all I had learned in personal communication, which was uh, engaging an audience, keeping them interested, landing a message, keeping emotional uh, empathy alive, because a lot of a lot of two-way communication, which was on radio and television, is about empathy. It's all about being able to read your audience. And so... I carried those learnings to experiential marketing, which in those days was, of course, just event management or below the line, as they used to call it. Uh, And I could now transfer my skill to many other people. When you can transfer skills and create structure and spirit and bring it together, that's when you get companies. So that's when I had Encompass. Um, When that medium evolved further and I got the chance to direct a film, I was now talking entertainment on the biggest canvas available, which is Bollywood. Um, And it was a different learning because what looks to you uh, as a a huge learning I had in cinema was that uh, cinema is a medium which people can always go back and see again. So it is is about the minute, as they say. It is about the minutest of details. It's about the one, you know, leaf in the background that is looking at that moment out of sync. And in an event, you could let it go because... That live moment will pass. On radio, you could let it go because you don't want to lose that energy. But on but in film, uh, you know, because it's a recorded medium and it can be replayed, uh, there is a lot more detail. I mean, they say that in cinema, God lies in the details. But again, I was, I was, uh, and which is why perhaps in, in cinema, 
Uh, the other thing I had to I had to contend with was that I was dealing with many new people. I mean, the cinematographer knows what looks best. The editor knows what's the pattern. The musician or the music director knows what's going to work with music. So you're suddenly now working with a whole bunch of creative greats. It's not you who's just adding ingredients to the recipe. Each of those ingredients is a live ingredient. So it was a completely different experience. Um, then from there, when I went into digital, it was a new medium where there was an audience which was talking to each other in bits and bytes across uh, different devices. And I felt that while some of the rules which I had employed on radio, television, film, theater also applied themselves to uh, you know, uh, communication on these kind of screens, it needed new age communicators. And now I put on the role of a director, which I had learned in cinema and, and theater. And I started finding the right talent. Um, and, and I think that's when the journey continued. So I think, I think there are two layers. One is a personal layer of something you learned that you kept changing. And the second is the understanding of the medium and its scope and its benefits and its positives and negatives. So, Two key takeaways for me. One, I think you spoke about personal communication. And I think some of those learnings, you've also documented that in a book that you wrote called Speechless. Right. So if you can just talk about that a little bit more. And I think I would, I would urge all my audience, you know, to go and, you know, buy one copy because I've read that and it's an amazing, amazing book. So why don't you just give a gist of that? And then I'll move on to the next question that I have. Thank you so much, Saurabh. And, uh, you know, the book actually happened because uh, I was pained by hearing people, uh, very well-meaning people, get on stage and try to engage an audience and fail miserably. This is largely CMOs, CEOs, brand heads or whatever, who, who take the position they have been given to address an audience as granted because of the position they are in. Uh, when, a, when a host or an MC or a comedian or an actor or a performer steps on stage, um, we go there because one, one rule that you are taught is you're as good as your last show and you are paid for your performance. So there's a line under speechless which says, what would you say if your life depends on it? And this is what I tell all my performer friends. Go on stage as if your life depends on this show. That if the audience gives you a standing ovation, you will end up getting five more years added to you. Because the minute you make yourself memorable, you are as viral as the video that someone else shares. I've had people who've gone back and written to me 15 years later saying that one thing that you said has still stayed with us, that one story you told us. Um, and I had all these learnings and I was genuinely seeing a whole generation of uh, hosts, people, as I said, who were given the position or the privilege to speak, completely disregarding it, disregarding it from a perspective of the use of language. I mean, the number of people who use uh, incorrect grammar, who, who use... Uh, slangs and half phrases and pass it off as this is the communication of today. And I don't agree. I, I, I feel that you need to put in the effort. You need to put in so much more. And so uh, I started devising workshops to train people. WPP does this amazing uh, two-day conference called Stream. And in Stream, every year, uh, I would just by chance, I mean, and there would you could sign up for anything and I would I would sign up and say, I will conduct workshops. And it was amazing, Saurabh, because when I conducted the workshop, I had a, they normally do these workshops and I'm, it's a little bit of a boast, but, you know, allow me that, that most workshops there happen in small rooms, which can take 20 to 30 people. They had to shift my workshop to the main auditorium because 200 people registered. And so I said, there is an interest. 
and when i finished the uh, the the entire workshop everybody i mean everybody loved it they gave me a standing ovation and as i walked out siddharth banerjee who at that time was the marketing head for vodafone and a junior of mine from my college uh came outside and said roshan love what you do but you make it too easy and i said what do you mean and he said you know this is experiential learning of 20 years 20 plus years that you have but for you it sounds a lot easier or you know it's it's not as easy to do or execute so i found it intriguing and he says he says you know i have also put together some notes on public speaking can i send them to you and i said sure and he sent me the notes and i found that his notes had a little more uh structure i i am again being a live performer i can mold things as they go along because i'm i'm almost as i said you know i'm sensing my audience i'm sensing how they feel i'm constantly saying maybe i was going to tell this story but this is not going to land let me go here so i keep evolving my communication because that's your source of energy as well i mean you are sort of constantly absolutely, deriving absolutely. energy from them correct yeah. correct correct you know and my one of my old uh, radio professors used to tell me that shows need to flow like water because water doesn't stop anywhere right it just it just flows uh and and that's what i used to do but but siddharth bought that structure siddharth asked me some of the questions and and at times i used to joke with him saying oh my god these are boring questions he says see they appear boring to you sometimes but for someone else they require that and after about 3 months of a lot of deliberation discussions copious cups of tea we sat together and i said you know what we need is an acronym we need something that can hold people together and speechless the word then plays out into you know each of those alphabet stands for something so s stands for setup and p talks about preparation and e says what's the engine that you're going to have you know and 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 from from there on but but each of these is a chapter and a learning and a, and a whole host of learning it's filled with anecdotes and stories and right at the end i said that there are some people who when they're on stage uh, sometimes they just leave me speechless with their communication whether it is mandira bedi who took on the cricketing gauntlet she was the first woman who came into doing cricket but did it with so much pizzazz and did it so differently and went through her ups and downs but then became one of the strongest female voices or mini mathur um, who was an mtv vj but i mean that she has evolved gracefully beautifully as an anchor or cyrus uh, Sahukar who was somebody I trained as a student but who is the wittiest person I know if you see him on live stage he's so funny incredible sense of humor or Harsha Bhogle whose depth of knowledge and humility are legendary or Gaurav Kapoor who's like a younger brother to me but I think he's I mean Gaurav is the face of cricket what he does with breakfast with champions the world has seen but you know he bought he bought a, a, a joy to cricket broadcast that that wasn't serious right i mean he he made it light he made it funny he made it a lot more consumer friendly so uh, while while i actually wanted to interview about 20 different people uh, i did five and put them in the book right at the end and that's what speechless became and you know and and the joy was that the day the book came out believe you me we didn't have to market it too much because it just spread and and uh, you know we me and siddhartha both very grateful that it's a it's an amazon bestseller and of course if if the people listening buy some copies we'll remain on the list great i will i will come to my second question in a bit which is around encompass and you know around experiential marketing that you just spoke about but i think you just touched upon you know that great workshop that happened where wpp had to shift everybody to a bigger auditorium and i think it was a huge hit had you done that workshop during covid digitally or virtually do you think it would have received the same kind of response 
So let me tell you that I did those workshops and I'm in fact just about to start uh, next month. I'm starting a business storytelling course online because I have conducted multiple workshops online where because geography is now history, there is no constraint. Somebody from Netherlands, from the US, from India, from the smallest city uh, can tune in. I've had on certain days when I was doing my podcasting workshop uh, up over 2000 people attend uh, and it's crazy but what people need to understand is that the minute you are doing a virtual event or a virtual workshop you have to change your mind from live to broadcast um, you have to almost think of yourself as a broadcast host help us understand that because i think for, for folks like me we don't get the difference right so what's the difference between live and broadcast so look at two people. Look at the cricket commentator who is in the stadium mm -hmm. and look at the person who normally sits in studio and throws to the audience, right? Right. The difference uh, in one and the other is that one person is reacting live to what's happening, right? I mean, if you remember the, the radio commentary was ball by ball, minute by minute, etc. because the person was in the stadium, right? Um, the person who is sitting in the commentary box and broadcasting is doing it, keeping in mind that I have an audience to engage. Therefore, uh, in, in the virtual communication piece, if you look at the screen we communicate in, there are three elements. One is the chat that is going on, right? One is the participants who are there in front of you who might be live and, and talking to you. And the third, of course, is the material. So there it's a cricket match. Here it might be a presentation. So it's presentation, participants, and what's happening in the chat. And you have to keep all these three elements constantly in mind. You switch to a slide, you go to the chat, you bring in a participant. So very often people lose people in virtual communication because they're so busy communicating and talking that they forget that everybody else is invisible and is slowly becoming even more invisible because they would have by now turned and looked at their child or started reading a book or turned away. So how do you keep them engaged? So. Very often, if you see the hooks that come in television broadcast are click here, buy this now, there's the commercial break. What are you doing? What is your commercial break in a virtual thing? Are you giving a commercial break? Are you giving them that incentive? Are you asking them that quiz question? Are you making the invisible visible and calling up somebody saying, hey, that's a great comment, Saurabh, lovely. Uh, can I get you up here to give us a quick response? So interactivity, engagement, making the invisible visible are some of the elements of virtual communication. The, the other big element is giving other people the opportunity to even consume. See, in live events, what happens is things happen and you have natural breaks. The break is the convenience break. The break is between speaker one and speaker two. But what do you do that? There is no water cooler here. So how do you create water cooler moments on virtual? You set up meeting rooms and tell people, you know what, I want you to go for five minutes and I want you to talk about the most embarrassing moment in your life. Now, it has nothing to do with the core construct. And obviously, you can construct them basis. I mean, you if you are having an inside session with 50 people, you could turn and say that, okay, I'll tell you what, what's the one thing that's happened in your life that you think is extremely telling about you go into a meeting room and chat with people. What happens automatically is there is an informality of now we are five people in a meeting room, not 500. We are not in public view, we are in private view. And this becomes that little conversation that used to happen in the corridor at an event. And this is what happens in row number five where somebody is showing somebody a joke.
So you have to mirror all of these human moments from there and build them into your broadcast philosophy. And, and see, how, see how so many second screen experiences in sport do it. It's beautifully done by cricket, I think, now does it beautifully. So when, when Hotstar is doing, Hotstar knows that, yes, you're watching a match, but you're also maybe looking at your kid at home or maybe you're also talking to your friend and these, I mean, this generation is, is multitaskers as it is. So they will constantly engage you with a quiz, with a will their next ball be a six. So all of these elements, there's so much to learn. Uh, I'm actually now thinking very soon to do uh, a, another workshop on just saying, you know, virtual communication and the joy of virtual communication. That's right. I mean, you know, I think the way we gamify, you know, the whole virtual experience, I think that's where the trick really lies. I mean, I think just this morning, you know, we were having like a company offsite and, and you know, uh, you know, my, my sort of technology team was sharing, you know, these couple of apps, Prezi Video. And, you know, there's, yes. this, you know, there's a new one called Mm-hmm, right? Yes, it just yes. it just sort of you know changes the way people look at you on screen, and I think you know there are those little gimmicks that you can do keep the audience engaged, but at the same time you know you can then really deliver your content in a very impactful way. So I think that was super, and I think this this whole space is changing so fast. So I think let me now go back to the question that probably interests me the most, and that's about experiential marketing, uh, and and you know that's also about uh, you know Encompass, which was your company and i think that's that's probably one of the first and you know one of the largest companies in event marketing in india i will come to your company in a bit because that's where a lot of learnings are for me but let me first understand from a practitioner's point of view somebody who's really spent a long long time in this business for somebody who's not from the marketing world they would understand what an event industry is for marketeers, I mean, they will they will use very different kinds of terminologies below the line, through the line communication. And I think if you go to a modern, uh, you know, marketing company, they will probably call this as a part of experiential marketing. Give me your view. How do you look at sort of last 20, 25 years? How have you seen this industry changing? What has changed? And then I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the digital and the non-digital brands and how they really look at experiential marketing from their point of view? So, you know, events have been happening since the first set of people sat around a fire and shared stories. That's right. Because while it was a micro event, there was one person who at that moment possibly had a story to tell and they had a fire which became the gathering point and X number of people sat around it and there was a transference of knowledge or entertainment or a shared experience. So, typically to me, moments which become shared experiences are events. Now, how big or small changes their context? When that same moment happens in a stadium at the opening ceremony of an IPL, you have to put on the lens of what I call one to million. My God, you're communicating not just one to one, but one to million. When the same thing happens in a mall as an activation where there's a car on display and you tell somebody saying, would you like a test drive? It's one to one. And when the same thing happens in an auditorium with possibly a particular audience that is more defined, which is the sales force or the PR people or company CMOs or like what's happening in Davos, you know, sometimes it's just uh, people getting together. So a defined audience, that's one too many. So I used to always turn and say that, you know, um, one to one, one to many, one to million is the space of events. The lens keeps changing and therefore various things keep changing. But it's happened from the very beginning. I mean, whether whether it was, uh, you know, Chandragupta Maurya, if you remember, 
uh when he was king uh, uh, around that point in time there's this whole thing about kotalya and chanakya which people talk about and chanakya actually turns and says that if you want to keep your praja your or your people in your country busy you must do lots of events and that's what used to happen always there was always events that used to happen uh you know whether they were the gladiatorial uh, battles that used to happen in the colosseum uh, those were all big events uh whether the olympics which started you know in the early days when races were etc were done these were just ways of keeping your audience engaged whether it was a harvest festival or whether it was a religious festival over a period of time all of these informal or slightly formal if they happened from the powers that be um all of these things got got certain number of rules and methods and pomp and pageantry and celebration and tradition and all of these things happened at some point in time when brands emerged the idea was how do you does a brand make a lasting impression on people and that's when brand focused event marketing began uh, and brand focused event marketing then became again into this whole one to one one to many one to million space and over the last 30 odd years as i have seen this industry in india it has gone from the traditional unorganized briefcase boutiques one or two people who would come together maybe to facilitate and put together services to frankly being what i think is a is a highly evolved part art part science um because when it comes with insight and consumer insights etc it's a beautiful you know device piece of communication which can land a message which can have a call to action um the changes that have happened is that this 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 industry has very often aggregated and deaggregated i think that somehow is the whole advertising cycle right i mean you have these behemoths that come up and then they disintegrate and then again they come up i mean but it's a, it's a cyclical thing that keeps happening so in india uh, we've had this happen we've we've always had the wiscrafts the fountain heads uh the phase ones the encompasses that happened and when when encompass actually happened um it was to fill a need gap i was a host in delhi i used to be called to mc lots and lots of events and while i was doing that i would i would feel extremely sad when i had to go and work really hard to make a bad event work right and what i mean by that is that somebody had not planned and thought through everything and being a communicator having studied communication it would be so simple i mean if you got 200 people waiting in the pre function area are you doing something to engage them if you've got if you've got people coming together have you built a theme song which they can carry away which keeps the keep which takes the key message and transfers it so i was using what i had learnt in theater and radio and television etc and putting all of these ideas but i was always doing it for other people and very often it's a it's a bit of a uh, you know even today i would call it a little bit of a uh, wild wild west kind of thing that people will take your ideas and not give you credit etc and i didn't like that so at one stage i said i can fill this need gap by creating an agency that best resembles an advertising agency because that's what brands are comfortable dealing with and i had sandeep goyal who used to read head rediffusion at that point in time and i actually learned from sandeep how he used to run his agency so while while he would often call me because i was the star in delhi who he was he would take occasionally to sell things like baba zarda and nit and i don't know what all it was really funny but but it was amazing he was the best pitch master you could come across and learning from him learning structure etc i 
put together and cobbled together an agency. And uh, 1997 to 99, when with the initial early days, people when you, when I used to ask people to join us, they didn't know what to tell their parents. What do you do? Right? And I used to keep telling them that, you know, you, you've got to tell them this whole thing about one-to-one, one-to-many. They said, nee but I would still I would still try and explain it the best that I could. Um, I think over the years, it has now evolved into a lot of learning. So, uh, and, and it has also gone into areas that we never thought. For example, nobody thought that social events would become a multi-billion dollar industry. But today, the largest sector in India is social events. So weddings uh, are the largest thing and they are, they, they, uh, I keep saying that people there very often don't have to worry about brand colors and brand ethos, etc. As long as the couple and the parents are happy, everyone's happy. Uh, you know, but doing that is a, is a really tough task. Then political events or, you know, government events have become, governments have started doing events to showcase themselves. And, and I mean, Singapore excels at this. You, you've seen that. I mean, the number of, the number of events that they do. Um, and it's done with a very conscious view on, on presenting. Dubai does it beautifully. India has started doing it beautifully. I think in the last two regimes, they have really understood the power, the soft power of events. So whether it's doing the BRICS summit or the Indo-Asia, you know, the Indo-Africa summit that we did or the South Asian Games, um, all of these. So now there's political events. Then you must understand that organized religious events are becoming huge. And... These used to be the evangelical events of the West. But today, uh, you know, when a, when a Shri Shri Ravi Shankar does an event or a Baba Ramdev does an event, look at the attendance. There are thousands upon thousands of people. And frankly, these are the largest sectors. Brand events come after this today. I mean, this is where brand events is where we started. But brand events are, uh, you know, there's a lot more. I think there's a lot more work, a lot more reward because, you know, you've got measurable uh, KPIs, of to it, yeah. KPIs, et cetera, which are there, which makes it really deliverable. Um, and, and then, of course, uh, you know, I used to turn and say that this is the space where everything from an IPL opening ceremony to an international conference for a brand, to a brand activation, to a product launch, to shopper marketing, to brand retail activation. I mean, you can just keep going on. Rural marketing and rural marketing, again, is while, while it's still a little bit of a dark area, uh, you know, because nobody has been able to completely harness that we've been trying a lot as encompass but uh, these are all the disciplines so i think i think a it has evolved become much much bigger i mean uh, you know there, there was a report from ernst and young which said that the indian industry for many years it said it's 10000 odd crores the organized industry and we actually uh, last year the event and entertainment management association i became the president of and the entire team sat together and said, you know, this is a, we are doing ourselves a disservice. Our industry size is maybe 50 times that. So our estimate is that we are not 10,000 crores, but 500,000 crores. Uh, if you look at the entire sector, but but again, I mean, we are, we are trying to put together some surveys, etc. to prove to people how big this space is. It's still very disorganized. Um, the last trend that has worked well here is that you know, nobody has worked out a metric of measurement for this space. Uh, and digital is winning, uh, you know, purely because everything is measurable. But there was a time that we tried unsuccessfully. We, Sukrit and I had worked for about three and a half years to come out with a metric called return on experience. But, you know, we were not able to find the right set of people who could actually work with us. And 
And I also found that there was a big pushback from many industry people who said, but why do you want us to be measurable? Why? You know, I mean, and, and I was like, because measurability brings results and results bring you measured deliverables and therefore maybe even even measured profit. Uh, uh, but, but, but again, I think that's the one gap even now that exists. Technology has gone, I mean, it's grown leaps and bounds. I, I remember the early days where it used to take us three to six hours to set up a projector. In fact, I, I, I have a friend, you know, who used to work for one of the political parties sort of recently and now he sort of shifted to his corporate job. And, and he used to tell me that, you know, the way they used to count the number of people who used to come for a particular rally is, is through using drones, right? Correct. And then, and then you know, they just sort of measure the distance between two shoulders and, you know, so many gaps sort of, you know, represent how many people, you know, have sort of turned up. And what would come on news, uh, you know, versus the actual count, you know, there was always that kind of gap. No, no, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that, that I've always said this, that when, when auto shows, etc. happen, it, it, I'm, a, I'm a geek and I love discovering new tech. So there was a time that there was this beautiful, uh, you know, event uh, summit that used to happen in, of all places in, in LA. Uh, sorry, no, not in LA, but in Vegas. And, and I used to go there with Sukrit and um, we would spend the day discovering new technology. And there were some amazing things people were working on. For example, uh, using Bluetooth technology, you know, beacons and Bluetooth to see how many people were present. Or uh, somebody who had used pressure sensitive mats to see how many people had actually stepped onto that area. Um, so, so many people come up with these innovations. But the other problem of our industry has always been that there is very little knowledge sharing. Everybody thinks that they've discovered a secret sauce and can they milk that cow for a period of time. Let me just go back to, uh, you know, what you just shared. I think, you know, you learned a few lessons uh, about how to run an agency from Sandeep because he was a great pitch master. Distill it for us. What did you learn in 30 seconds? What I, what I learned was that you, that you identify a need gap, you blow it out of proportion, you provide a solution for it that, uh, you know, suddenly seems, oh my God, you've got the magical solution. And then you say, now you pay me and I'll tell you the rest. So I think magnification is sort of an important. Yeah. Identifying a need gap and identifying a unique need gap that makes the person in front sit up. Uh, nowadays, when I, when I talk to startups very often, my other mentor, Rajesh Soni, uh, you know, he tells me always saying, what's the problem you're trying to solve? How big is the problem you're trying to solve? Why are you the right person to solve it? You know, and, and I often go in with that. Of course, in events, you add a lot of pizzazz, etc. to this whole thing. The, the other thing that happened, I mean, and, and while you asked me to distill the pitch part, the other thing that happened was that two years into setting up Encompass, we had a brilliant person called Sue Fertal who had worked with Saatchi and Saatchi and, you know, worked with some of the best brands. And she was a true experiential marketeer from the U.S., and she had come to India because her fiancé at that time was working at the Marriott and, you know, he was heading sales. And they just said, okay, India will be a great exotic adventure maybe. And, and she landed and, uh, you know, she got into Rediffusion as their director of lifestyle marketing. And she got in touch with me. And two years later, after having worked in India, she uh, moved on from Rediffusion and actually came and joined us. Wow. Okay. And in that and in that relationship, she actually bought what I genuinely value as one of the biggest strengths of Encompass, which is that she built systems and processes. Before that, you know, you know what happens is many startups, and you'll you'll hear of these stories of you know people working twenty four hours, and oh my god, we're working towards a goal, and we have no work life balance. Um, 
But, you know, again, most places start as wild, wild west till the sheriff comes in town and lays down the rules. And she was our sheriff. She came in and laid down some rules. Um, what happened, and I often tell the story to people, is that when you bring a lot of structure to a completely unstructured place, some people just don't respond to it well. And, they, and you know, they feel that, oh my God, it becomes so rigid. Where's the fun gone? Where's everything gone? And I realized that for these people, breaking them into those systems was needed. And maybe it required a lot more time. So maybe it required a lot more offsites and getting together, etc. But again, remember, I'm talking of 97 to 98, 99. Very, very early days. Uh, and, and then I stepped in to say, okay, there needs to be a balance between passion and process, spirit and systems. And you must find the right balance. And even today in anything that I do, any and there are days that I have walked into an encompassed uh, thing and seen that a team who has worked on an event has come back to office and I have suddenly told my admin saying, can you get, you know, five masseurs who are available on Urban Clap to come here and just give them all a massage? You know, it's just suddenly, it perks people up. But it's it's that one perk that suddenly bought spirit. It's not in the system. It's not something which is put down in an HR manual. But you can bring delight before bringing customer delight bring delight to your own people. I mean, if you take care of your people, they will take care yeah, of you. Yeah, but, but you know, if what you're doing, let people discover the joy of what they are doing and and give that joy to them sometimes. You know, I mean, it's the most difficult in the thing in the world to organize a get-together for event people. But when you do it, don't do it half-baked because they will scoff at it and tell you, my God, I do so much better and this is what you did for me. So you've got to work 10 times harder. You've got to make it really unique and fun and different. And uh, we've always done that. So so at one point in time, uh, we had a position at uh, Encompass called CFO, right? And that stood for Chief Fun Officer. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a nice take. Yeah, because, you know, you need that. If Bangladesh can have a happiness, uh, sorry, you know, Bhutan, Bhutan. if Bhutan yeah. can be number one in the happiness index, uh, why can't companies have a happiness index? Why can't we look and measure things like that? True. So I think in, in the whole experiential marketing space, um, when you now interact with brands that are, are digital, you know, uh, you know, those brands that, uh, you know, where, where, you know, the legacy has been digital, does the meaning and the context for experiential marketing change for those brands versus those that are still sort of, you know, in brick and mortar? And why I ask that question, because I think when I speak to digital brands, I think they are more interested in the user experience part of it. They just want, you know, the right kind of buttons and, you know, the right kind of placement on the screen, because I think their interaction is all virtual. Whereas I think when, when we speak to, say, for example, insurance companies and banks, you know, that, that still have sort of a brick and mortar presence, I think they're still interested in doing, you know, events and concerts and, you know, engaging you know people with fun and entertainment so when you interact with these two very different kinds of companies do you see a difference in the way people uh, expect from an experiential marketing company absolutely i do i mean i think it's a very good question because um, you know what 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 happens is that people who are over 40 and have experienced a lot of the non uh, you know digital part of life as well. I mean, you know, the, the people who worked maybe uh, in the early 2000s or whatever, etc. And therefore, therefore they, they, everything was physical. And, and again, I keep saying this, that, you know, at the end of the day, can you have a virtual meal? You cannot, right? I can show you the prettiest picture of Singapore noodles, but 
until you've gone and had them would you know it if i i can show you the best uh, you know hoisin sauce whatever but if you can't smell it can you can you experience it so you must understand that events engage your senses and they engage all your senses now till the day that i cannot bring each of those senses alive across a virtual screen you have to give me the power of knowing of of having uh, you know uh, the strength of many years of experience to bring this power and and many brands allow you that many brands because of a, because of not having a complete understanding of what they do end up fulfilling their personal wish list i have often turned and said that many events end up becoming the personal wish list of the brand manager this is the singer i like this is the color i prefer this is the food i would want to serve but you know you need today to find people who are experts in these fields who can understand much what so take the strength of digital understand your consumer well but then take the strength of live to deliver them that which makes them different from a robot what makes us different the fact that we have feelings the fact that we have a conscience the fact that we can transmit what we have learned in different formats take all those things and use them which people don't do and you're right people keep getting obsessed with events very often right have rigid timelines because there is a date of delivery very often in digital products you could while you do have a date of delivery but you know you could do beta 1 beta 2 version 3 version 4 but at an event you can't turn and say half the stage is ready the next will be ready in the next event come so 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 i keep trying to explain this to people and the the thing that is often missing uh and again i think this is important for 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 event companies that want to become big and transparency and trust are two critical areas today digital companies i mean the world's biggest digital companies are facing these two issues right trust and transparency but events also have very often been built in this it's the it's the wizard of oz it's the magician who comes and does the trick and as long as you don't know the trick at the back you're okay but are you willing to pay the person the value they deserve for doing that trick now the problem again with digital agencies is everything is commoditized today only my team had to submit a virtual tender now fine i'll submit a virtual tender and you'll evaluate saying x number of lights put together in a row cost you so and so amount fine but the light designer who makes it happen how do you pay for his years of experience or her years of experience you know and these are uh, i i was i was uh, doing a, a wonderful conversation with adam davidson who's written the passion economy yesterday and and this is a message that i think is in his book and it's something that i tell my i've been telling my teams for the longest time cost does not cost into time is not equal to value right value can be I, 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 today as a host when i anchor a show even today i charge money that sometimes makes clients fall off their seats but i know that i deliver that value you can get someone at maybe 100 the price that's okay you know you pay you know you you pay peanuts you get monkeys that's okay Roshan I think uh, what I what I like about this conversation is that I think you have you have had a very balanced professional life I think we started by where you described slasher by profession and and I think if if somebody had to hear that one would automatically think that you know you are a very creative person right 
and then you got into business which meant that you know you started the business of creativity you actually started you know sort of selling creativity for a prize and for the value that you wanted to deliver however i think if i just now segue into the new passion that you have which is probably your newest baby uh, and that's commune it has got nothing to do with creativity because i think at the fundamental level at 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 at, at its core i think what you've done is you've leveraged the power of network you've you've created a community and i think that's where probably the word commune really comes from you've you've really leveraged the power of community in this case and then i think once you bring people together you put them in a room the creativity would flow people would tell stories people would engage each other is that an insight that you had when you started commune or you know your approach to setting up commune was through the root of creativity that hey you know i just need to get like five more creative people in the room and you know record it and you know broadcast it and let's see you know what magic it does help us understand the approach so as artists you are always uh, between you know uh, i you you're, you're walking on eggshells because you don't know what you're creating next is it going to be a mega success or a mega failure and therefore there is a lot of insecurity and therefore most artists by their nature end up communing somewhere theater artists in bombay would meet at prithvi uh, you know you would always find art students will have one adda that they will gather at you know uh, quizzers will have their own space i mean everybody they'll all have their own little communities now you've always built communities right the the difference that has happened in the last couple of years is tools that make communing easier have come up now what do you need to build a commune you need to a have obviously some shared values uh but you also need to be able to help people congregate you need to be able to broadcast what they do you need to be able to curate what they are doing so i think i think there's actually a lot of creativity in commune and did it did it come later i don't know i felt that there was a generation that needed a platform to share its voice and very often we get so subsumed by pop culture that subculture becomes starts as i mean starts dying uh and there have been some people some organizations in india that have always been the champions of you know subculture whether it's so places like prithvi theater places like i mean organizations like oml only much louder um you know aib for comedy there are, there are so many of these but in india it was still really looked down upon you know so so what so what happened is that this whole uh idea of getting people together giving them a platform doing it consistently um and allowing them to as we say create curate collaborate and finally commercialize art very often again gets stuck in the happy space of oh it's so nice but are you being paid for it i mean an artist ultimately also needs can't you you can't live on uh, love and fresh air and monetization was critical as well so i think it's very important for an artist to first feel i belong then they need to learn i belong to a great community where there are some shining stars that i can look up to who show me that this is possible so very often i mean when i go to uh, colleges schools competitions which i judge and i do a lot of this Uh, just my presence very often is reassuring to them to say he did all that i am doing today and made it you know very often you call celebrities just because of oh they've got something that they are doing currently which you love but i think there is also a very big thing of saying x did so i can and that's why commune 
beautifully has a set of people who are at the top of their peak of their profession. I mean, if there was a a creative a Maslow's hierarchy, they are self-actualized almost. Uh, but they are also there because even they need to feed off others. They need to feel part of a thing. So, so I think if you look at the commune logo, it's got a sharing sign, and. Uh, when when the logo came about, the agency that works worked with us on creating the logo, Skarma, um, uh, the, the designer actually said three things to me and which is what completely sold me on the way the logo is. That the dots which seem to be in the K are not dots, they are pebbles because creativity is constantly like a pebble in, in water. You know, it's, it's always evolving. It's always being changed by the things around it. Uh, so if you actually zoom into the logo, you see it doesn't look like a perfect circle, but it looks like this pebble. The second is this sharing sign because what we do, we share. And at communes, you share of your earning, of your learning, of your creativity, of your fears, of your passion. And the third thing is that by just bringing diverse pebbles together, you know, it takes two pebbles which are struck together to create a fire. And similarly, if you bring a whole bunch of these and, and create sparks, what will happen? And and that's it. So, so, so we started with a lot of this unformed thought. I mean, you know, that, uh, we, uh, you know that very often I feel that by serendipity, I'm doing something which then the world gives a name. You know, I was doing events and it became experiential marketing. You know, I, I said that this is not about Facebook likes when I met Varun and Rohit and I invested in Glitch. I said, you know, there is a new medium which requires new rules and new ways of communication. And I invested in that. And that suddenly became this whole thing about, oh, these are digital agencies. Uh, which are going to do things in a very different manner. And then again, with Commune, I just feel that the tools of technology have given us the right to be able to democratize art. And all of these things that I spoke about are important to democratize art. So where are you going with Commune? And, you know, where is Roshan Abbas going next? Are they both traveling in the same direction? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Rosh, Roshan Abbas is a, is, a, is a traveling Wilbury who goes from place to place. I'm sometimes a maven. I'm sometimes, a, you know, I, I, there's this beautiful book called The Art of Looking Sideways, uh, which I would highly recommend to people. Um, and, and, and that book is, is a creative person's collection of things that intrigue him, shiny things that a jackdaw used to carry into its nest. So I'm doing that all the time. Every day with my team, I'm saying, did you try this app? Did you see that video? Did you meet this person? Whatever. So so you're not happy with your 14 professions. You want to keep adding more slashes. I think I think right now I am a curator of cool <laughs> at some level. <laughs> and I do that. That's why I said that in an article sometime back. Say, yeah, I'm the curator of cool. I generally find cool things and then I introduce them to people and if something happens, it happens. So I like doing that. Or are you the one sort of, you know, translating pop culture into subculture? Correct, correct. Or subculture into pop culture, or right? Subculture, so, vice versa, yeah. Right, because I, I think I, actually the, the, the big thing lies in that. If you can find, see, I wrote an article day before, which is now doing well, where I said, is this the tipping point of spoken word? Amanda Gorman performing at the inauguration for Joe Biden and now performing at the Super Bowl. Uh, the winner of America's Got Talent this time being a spoken word poet. Coca-Cola's new campaign having George the Poet talking about it. What is this saying? It's saying subculture is becoming pop culture. And so if a brand wants to invest right now in getting five poets to come and even perform for them, um, you know, because they'll be honest, they will be forthright and they will put emotions into words in such a beautiful way that you'll want to share it with the world. Now, that's just a great thing to do. But I believe that that tipping point has come. 
कॉम्यून ऑल्सो फॉर मी हैज नाउ रीच दैट टिपिंग पॉइंट वॉट स्टार्टेड एज फिफ्टीन पीपल इन रूम टेलिंग स्टोरीज इज नाउ अ प्लेटफॉर्म फॉर एनी क्रिएटर हु वॉन्ट्स टू टेल स्टोरी सो आर एम्बिशन इज टू हेल्प एवरी क्रिएटर बी द बेस्ट वर्जन ऑफ दमसेल्व नाउ हाउ कैन वी डू दैट बाई प्रोवाइडिंग यू ऑल दैट आई सेंट सो वी हैव नाउ क्रिएटेड इन आर हेड दिस लिटल पिरामिड ऑफ क्रिएटिविटी वे वी से दैट यू एंटर एज अ मे बी जस्ट एज अ लिल कंज्यूमर हु सेज आई वॉन्ट टू बिलोंग टू दिस लैंड ऑफ क्रिएटिविटी and then we feel that we are almost going to hold your hand and take you through that entire journey and therefore we are focusing this year uh, and the pandemic taught us this that pe- people wanted to invest in themselves during the pandemic right they either wanted to be entertained educated or you know they wanted to be engaged at some level and uh, we we do a lot of this but wanting to be a better version of yourself wanting that little work life balance i mean the number of people who took on meditation yoga etc right uh suddenly suddenly people started finding that extra time to say am i leading a fulfilled life so i think commune is hoping that it can help you lead a creatively fulfilled life by providing the ability to create content the ability to learn how to do good content right and to constantly give you experiences where you can engage with other people in the community so i think i think those are the three focus areas for this year roshan i had a lovely experience of you know chatting with you it's it's always a pleasure to hear your thoughts and you know to sort of read what you write and to listen to you know actually what you say you know on youtube so thank you so much for doing this thank you so much sarab and i mean uh, thank you for having me on the podcast thank you for contributing to that to 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 the posts on linkedin i'm 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 really enjoying your insights and i'm trying to rediscover the the fun creator in you because i thought i bought a little bit of that out in that in that last post of Uh, you know bollywood dialogues that I mean, inspire bollywood is a passion so it just sort of you know happened you know i just sort of looked at your post and i said okay i have to write something you know and i just sort of yeah, did that on yeah, the fly yeah but i mean i mean i mean fun fact i was i i i had had two gins the previous night when i was thrown this thing saying can bollywood teach you other parents matter of course it can you know and, and and now it's becoming a series because the number of people who are responding so thank you thank you for being part of my journey and i hope you continue to be a part of it You've been listening to Recast with me, Saurabh Sardana. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to leave a review and rating on your favorite episode. Also, if you want to chat with me, connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter.